Matthew eleven twenty eight for the memory. All right. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Great passage. Great passage. All right, we're going to be starting in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 is where we will begin be starting. We are going to, this is a section which is called uh, of the five discourses that are found in Matthew. We looked at uh, one, major, one major discourse, which was the Sermon on the Mount. Now this is a minor discourse. It's called the Mission Discourse in typical types of fashions, Mission Discourse. If, uh, if I were to say and just say what, what is our mission, you know, without looking at the passage, what is our mission, we would probably come up with a variety of different things. A mission is defined as a specific task which is given, uh, which a person or group is given or charged. And so uh, I remember we had missions when we flew in the Air Force. We would fly a mission. It was a specific task that we were assigned to do. This is called the mission discourse. You'd notice, uh, just kind of bringing you back up to date as to where we are in the book of Matthew, we uh, noticed that there was narrative sections and there were also teaching sections that kind of went back and forth through the book of, book of Matthew. Chapters 8 and 9 were a narrative section, this teaching section. The first section was a, the Sermon on the Mount. Then there was a narrative section, which was primarily miracles authenticating basically the message and the messenger. That's what miracles and sign gifts and things like that do, authenticate the message and the messenger. So that was the narrative session. Now we're going back into a teaching section, which is in chapter 10. And this is the second discourse. Jesus is really looking at some sort of imminent change that's going on. And you can see that in the area of his teaching and then also what he says to his workers. So turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And we really see what Jesus says or what he saw prior to the time that he begins on his discourse. 35, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, proclaiming and teaching the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Verse 36, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited or downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And then verse one of chapter 10, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples, gave them authority, and he basically then sends them out. What did Jesus see? prior to the time that he is going to send them out. What did he see? Well, first off, what he saw is he saw the needs of the people. He says, 
He saw the needs of the people. He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast. Distressed is really the spiritual aspect. Really saw that they were worried, troubled, bewildered, bewildered. And probably, I think they were kind of bewildered by those who should have been teaching them but were not. And so they were distressed. The downcast there is, is used in other places. Downcast is being cast down physically as a result of drunkenness. It's in other places where that word is used. So it's a physical aspect. So he sees the distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. So he says to his disciples, and then he goes, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. I need, see the need for workers. Beseech the Lord in the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. I see the need for prayer. But then he summons his 12 disciples and gives them, gives them authority and sends them out. It's interesting, and I've, I've talked about this before, but it's always interesting. Jesus saw the people and he felt compassion. That word compassion is a really interesting word. It's, the word compassion, you can feel compassion. It's almost like faith. Faith isn't really biblical faith until there's a corresponding resultant action, right? You can have faith or believe, but believe in the biblical sense of the word, it has a corresponding action. Compassion has that same flavor to it. In other words, you can feel compassion, but it's not really biblical compassion unless there's something that happens as a result. So I can feel compassion for somebody, but that's not really biblical compassion until I do something. Jesus demonstrates biblical compassion because he sees the people, he feels compassion for them, but in the sense of the biblical word, he sees, that, sees them, feels compassion, and then he is compelled to do something. And he says, you know, hey, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. He sees the need for prayer. Now, we got a lot, lot to cover here, but that's a, that's a great one. We could spend a long time talking about are you praying? Do you have, do you have on your list five people that you are praying for that may not know Jesus Christ? Beseech the Lord of the harvest. I mean, do you have five people? Are you praying for the mission? What is the mission? that we would proclaim the gospel? Are we praying for that? Is that a regular part of our prayer list? Is that something that we are in regular prayer for? Prayer for? He feels compassion. He shows mercy. And then he, so he says, beseech to Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And so then he summons the 12 and he gives them authority and he sends them out. He sees the need for our involvement. And he does something about it. There was a, a, when I was driving into Dallas, I would come in on Victory Parkway. And there was a little, little rise that went over Victory, uh, on Victory Parkway, coming into Dallas from the, from the east, so I was headed west. And it was the first time I could see the skyline of Dallas as I was driving in every day. 
And that was kind of my trigger. That was kind of my mental trigger every morning to pray for Dallas. And just pray that God would do a mighty work in Dallas. So every morning when I would see the driving in, I would see the skyline. You know, like Jesus coming over the mountain and looking at Jerusalem, and he begins to weep at Dominus Flavius. He begins to weep because he saw the sin of the city. He begins to weep there. And you say, does the sin that you see in Dallas or Fort Worth, does that just cause you to weep as to what's going on? And to beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest and then to get involved. Well, so what does he do? He gives authority to his disciples in verses 1 through 4. He says, Jesus summoned the 12 disciples, gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every kind of disease, every kind of sickness. Now the name of the 12 disciples are these, first Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. It's interesting, the, the word here, apostles, comes from the, the word apostello, means to send. It was not really a technical term until Jesus uses it here. You know, or, well, well Matthew uses it here, of describing the, de describing the 12. And he says, they're the apostles, the ones who are sent. Now, all of a sudden, being sent has become a technical term as describing those, those 12. Now there's seems to be like three groups with four disciples each. Peter, Philip, and James, son of Alphaeus, seems to be the leaders of those group. If you put all of the different orders uh, from Matthew, uh, Luke, and Mark together, Peter was the leader, Philip, James, and then we finally get down, the last one on all of the list is Judas Iscariot. Iscariot means probably Ish Kariot means man from the village of Kariot, which is south of Hebron. If you ever wondered what Iscariot was, that's most likely the meaning. There's a couple of possibilities, but that seems like the most logical one. But then Jesus, in verses 5 through 15, really begins to instruct the 12 of their mission. And this is where we get into the mission discourse what they refer to as the mission discourse. And the mission of the disciples primarily to preach to Israel. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them in verse 5, do not go in the way of the Gentiles, do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of Israel. And so in other words, hey, preach to specifically Israel, Jews first, Later on, the Gentiles were going to come. But rather go to the lost sheet of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons, freely receive, freely give. In other words, he gives the apostles that same power to be able to authenticate the message and the messengers. By the way, just kind of 
thinking through this, and you kind of say, how does this all work? Well, if you think through, um, when were assigned gifts and those healing powers all given in Scripture? There was really three times, if you think back in your, in your Bible, Bible chronology type of time, when you saw miracles really authenticating the message and the messenger. First time, Moses. What happens? Moses says, hey, he goes to Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. Authenticating the message and the messenger. Boom. Miracles. Whoa, okay. God's speaking through Moses. Let my people go. Well, after that, there's a period of silence. If you think Moses, period of silence. You really don't see miracles happening in that period of silence. Next time you see him come up, when's that? Elijah and Elisha. What happens? Prophets, they come and they say, hey, Israel, get your act together or we are going to take you away into captivity. <laughs> Miracles, signs, and wonders authenticating, A, the messenger, get your act together, and the, and, and the message, get your act together, and the messengers, hey, God is now speaking through the prophets, get your act together or we are going to take you away into captivity. Message and the messenger always confirmed with signs and wonders. All right, so after that, after Elijah and Elisha, what do you see? Silence. When's the next time that comes up? Jesus and the apostles. What happens? Hey, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Boom. Signs and wonders authenticating the message, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the messengers, hey, we're now speaking through Jesus and the apostles. Moses, silence. Elijah, Elisha, silence. Jesus, apostles. Just a thought. But then, notice in verse 8 through 15. This is where I kind of want to stop here for just for a second. 8 through 15. Notice what it says. Do not acquire gold, verse 9. Do not acquire gold or silver or copy for your, co copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. Whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy and stay in his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. All right, basically he's saying, hey, what's the mission? The mission is... To preach the gospel. Ma Matthew wrote to demonstrate that Jesus was the Messiah. He's giving authority now to his disciples to go to preach the gospel. And now he's saying, take nothing. Take nothing. All right. Here's the question. That's where we get a little bit involved here. Why would Jesus say, basically, 
take nothing. Take nothing. What do you think? What do you think? All right, the Lord shall provide. Absolutely. You bet. Faith. Faith. You bet. Absolutely. What are other words that would be uh, applicable to that? I'm sorry? <coughs> Baggage? All right, all of the baggage that kind of comes along with uh, having all that stuff along with you, which kind of plays into the faith and, and uh, uh, it's about the message, all right? God, God's going to do it, not us. All right, okay. If you're doing it for pay, then pretty soon you're doing it for pay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah? All right. Good. Obedience. Obedience? Absolutely a big part of the oh, a big part of the whole the whole thing. You bet. Other other words that would describe what Jesus has in mind when he says to his disciples specifically, take nothing. Also it puts him them on the same level as the poor and the okay. hurting. Sure, absolutely. Able to identify with what they're going through. You bet. All right. Rely on God for everything. All right. Rely upon God for, for everything. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah? Uh, Doug, also it gives others an opportunity to enter into the mission and to support them. Okay. There's a, there's a possibility here. Yeah, where... He's now staying in the other people's house and being able to uh, let them be a part of it. You bet. Enter into the mission. Yes, ma'am. Okay. All right. Yeah, you bet. You bet. I think we've all we've all kind of hit hit all of those different components of what's going on with Jesus, Jesus doing. I kind of put a big umbrella over, over all of that and everything that you said, you know, depend, uh, really kind of fits under my category of dependence upon the Lord, right? Faith, trust, you know, not looking out for yourself, focusing on really a dependence upon the Lord. And saying, I am going to totally be dependent upon the Lord to be able to pull this thing off. I'm not going to rely upon my own strength. I'm not going to rely upon my own resources. I'm not going to rely upon my own stuff. I'm going to have, take nothing. But you know, all the way through Scripture, that's a recurring theme, isn't it? God gets the nation of Israel out into the, out into the middle of the wilderness. And what happens out there? Hey, there's nothing to eat and there's no water. Yeah. I'm going to cause you, the nation of Israel, to be dependent upon me for everything. I'm going to cause you to be, I am going to provide for you manna every day. You will go out and you will find manna, bread, for you to eat. Dependence upon me. I'm going I'm to get my leaders to knock on a rock and water is going to come out. 
and you go, whoa, that's a recurring theme. Now Jesus, he comes up and he says to his disciples, hey, I want you to go out, go out into the world. And I'm sure that they're, going, they're sitting there going, great. By the way, take nothing. Great. You want us to do what? We want you to go out, preach the gospel, take nothing. You know, I wonder, you know, how many times we rely upon our own resources to be able to pull this stuff off? We can have all of the slickest stuff going, but if it's apart from, from, from God, if it's apart from Jesus Christ, it's nothing but wood, hay, and stubble. And it's amazing, as soon as we get out of the way and we start depending upon God, what God is able to do in opening doors, in, you know, it doesn't mean that we need to be completely passive here, of, you know, just waiting, but by opening up our house, by initiating a conversation, by doing some other things of that nature, by taking a few steps, it's really interesting what God and how God will open up some of those doors into a conversation that you never thought you were going to have if you're praying and if you're dependent upon God to be able to pull it off. And so often we think, well, if I just had the, the next track, or if I just had the next this, or if I just had the next whatever this was, or if I just had this or that, you know, and then you realize, wow, you know, God is still in control. I saw a hand back here. Yes, sir. Ten sixteen. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd and serpents and innocent as doves. All right. So what does that mean? We are not there yet. We haven't gotten to that passage yet, but so yeah, what does that mean? Shrewd as serpents. You know, shrewd and serpents was really kind of a proverbial statement, which really, if you want to put it into current terms, would be prudent. Be prudent. And yeah, it is, it is, it is, you know, applicable for today. Shrewd as serpents. Typically what we think is, we think, uh, you know, when shrewd as serpents, we kind of think of the snake, don't we? And so we think of the snake, and when we think of the snake, we think, of, well, they're shrewd because they're silent and dangerous. And so is that really what he's talking about and how they move? The disciples' shrewdness should not be based upon cunning or being cunning or dishonest because they also needed to be innocent as doves as well. And so what he's saying is be prudent and innocent. You see, if you're innocent without being prudent, you're just naive. So you need to be innocent and prudent. And that's exactly what he's saying. Be innocent 
be prudent. In other words, show care and thought about what's going to happen in the future. Don't look at that, that, that proverbial statement, don't look at it from the snake standpoint, but look about what he's saying about the, from, from a prudent standpoint and be wise basically in the conduct that you have with the world. He also says then in verse 17 and following after that, he says that you will be given what to say at the proper time. In other words, you'll get into situations You'll get into situations, but at that time, God will give you the, the right thing to be able to say. I might have told you this story. I'm going to tell you the story again because it's a great story. Uh, the, the story was uh, one of my buddies that's over in, in a place who was usually getting arrested, and, uh, um, or not arrested, but brought into the, to the uh, uh, police station to be queried by the police about what he was doing. I would tell you where, but it's being recorded, so I can't, but, um, which is one of the problems with this being recorded. But he would, he would often be arrested, and he would be uh, not arrested, but brought in and kind of harassed by the, by the police. And so this, this one time I was talking to him, and he was just kind of chuckling. And a couple of days beforehand, he had been called into the police station, and they, they said, we understand that you are baptizing Muslims. He said, I can guarantee you that I have never baptized a Muslim. <laughs> what, you aren't baptizing Muslims? I am not baptizing Muslims. And you just, you know, and I, I can guarantee, guarantee you that I will never baptize a Muslim. And they said, oh, okay, you know, and they, they let him go. And you just sit there and you go, and I said, how, how did that happen? He says, you know, it's really interesting. You get into the, some of those situations, how God just brings those things around to a place where it just kind of comes to you at that moment as to God will give you what, you, what, what to say. And they let him go, you know, and he walked out just kind of praising God uh, because, you know, God will give you the things that you will be able to say. Go down to verse 24, actually verse 26. And you can follow the outline. You can follow the outline on your, on your sheet. Verse 24, he really gets down to encouraging encouraging the people. And he basically, in verse 26, he says, therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. What you hear whisper in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, basically a 
penny, two sparrows for a penny. A penny was about one sixteenth of a denarius. A denarius was a day's wage. So aren't two sparrows sold for less than what you might make in an hour? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Verse 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, daughter against his mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be members of, the, of his household. He who loves his father and his mother more than me is not worthy of me. In other words, Jesus must be first in our life. He who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. He who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Basically, he's saying Jesus needs to be first in our life. Taking up her cross and following me is used in a variety of different places, but it's used here. And what he's talking about when he says taking up your cross and following me is not some sort of self, you know, mutilation or something of that nature where we have to, to do that. But what, what are they saying? Well, he's making a reference back to what was going on in Roman time and specifically crucifixion. And what was happening with crucifixion when they made the individual carry their cross? What they were saying when that individual was carrying the cross, or actually the beam, the, the post was, was there already. They would carry the beam of the, of the cross to it, and then they would plop the, the beam up on top of the post, usually a, a, a tree stump. What they were doing when they, they were carrying that beam and parading that individual from the place where they were condemned to the place where they were going to be executed, what they were saying was, here is an individual that was in rebellion against the state. This one who was in rebellion against the state has now been brought into submission to the state. This one who was shaking their fist at us has been brought under submission. And we are going to demonstrate publicly that this one is now submissive to the state that they were once in rebellion against. When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, what he's saying is willingly submit yourself to the one that you once were in rebellion against. You go, yeah. I once was in rebellion against the sovereign. I once was shaking my fist, saying, I know better. I can do it under my own power. I can do it. 
He's saying, no, take up your cross and follow me. In other words, willingly submit yourself to the one that you were once in rebellion against and publicly display that to those around you. And you say, yeah. Do I take up my cross daily? That's what he says. Take up your cross daily in another place. Take up your cross daily. Willingly submit yourself to the one that you were once in rebellion against and follow, not just discharge, but then follow who? Follow Jesus. Follow me. Are you following Jesus? Are you following him? He says, make it worthy of the king. All right, so let's get back here. What's the mission? Now that we say, what's the mission? The mission is preach the gospel, right? Mission's not going to change. Basically, at the end of Matthew, when we get there, we have what's called the Great Commission, where we are given the the commission to go preach the gospel, right? We'll get to Matthew chapter 28 in, in, a, in a, some weeks down the road. But now the question is, is, okay, what can we learn? What can we learn from what Jesus says in this mission discourse? How, how are we to fulfill that mission? How are we to fulfill that mission? What do you think? Yeah. Take nothing. Don't be afraid of people. Um, yeah, basically. Have, fear not. Fear not. And be his ambassador. Be his ambassador. Absolutely. Worthy ambassador. You know, I help people live simply. Move on if you're rejected. Use wisdom, discernment. Expect persecution. Do not be afraid. Remain faithful. Remember, yeah? Uh, I'd like to go back just a little bit. I don't like that word submit. When you're talking about submit to, to, this, to the state or to the government, that means to follow their lead, to do what they want you to do. Am I... And I understand following Jesus, following Jesus and submitting to the, to the world or government or whatever you want to call it, is it, it, there's a division there. But um, I have trouble with the word submit. Everybody pray for Chuck. <laughs> In that sense. So we're not supposed to submit to the government. We don't submit to, well, they're, they're doing all right, you know, this is... If that's what the law is, that's which we should believe in, you know. We're submitting, are we not? To the laws of the authority over yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So you pay your taxes. Well, yeah, that plus um, everything else that goes with submitting. But we're supposed to follow Christ. So to so me, there's a conflict there. There's a conflict between some submitting to the ways of the world and to... Um, Man, sure, and, and and submitting and going forward with Christ, sure, it's going to be a conflict. 
Sure. Point being? I thought I made it. <laughs> well, okay, you're talking your, about... I'll try to get your reaction, Dr. Cecil. Yeah, well, right at the moment, right <laughs> at the moment, we're talking about submitting to Christ. There is a place, obviously, where, you know, in Hebrews and other places where we're talk to, talking about submitting to the, those in authority over us. I think there is a place for... Um, you know, where we have the ability to be able to uh, take the consequences of not being, when they cross the line biblically. So that, but right now, so I want to come back, right now we're talking about submitting to Jesus Christ and what he is talking about as far as preaching the I gospel. I understand that part, so, yeah, and I agree with that, yeah. yeah. So submitting, in that sense, the tension becomes, yeah, I want to do my own thing is basically, I want to do my own thing. I don't want to be obedient. I don't want to follow what Jesus is saying. I don't want to, uh, you know, I, I want to be very comfortable, being very, very comfortable, living my own life the way that I want to live my own life and never come into a place where it might be a little bit rougher. Let me give you one more. Preach the gospel. How? I think we could probably boil it down to faithful dependence upon God. Faithful dependence upon God. How are we to live it? Faithful dependence upon God. There was a guy, uh, and probably you remember, remember who he was, uh, William Carey. William Carey was a great missionary to India, formed, a, I think he was a part of forming the Baptist Missionary, uh, missionary Society, missionary, missionary Society, and uh, I love what he said, and I kind of wrote down kind of what I could remember. Uh, William Carey, he basically said, you know, I can't do much, but I can plod. I can plod. P-L-O-D, plod. This is what he said. If, if you give me credit for being a plotter, you will do me justly. Anything beyond that will be too much. I can plod. I can persevere in any definite pursuit, and to this, I owe everything. And you go, faithful, dependent. And here he was, you know, the great missionary to India. He basically says, you know, if you give me credit for anything else other than, you know, I'm just being faithfully dependent upon God, I can plod. If you do anything other than that, you probably are going to give me too much credit. And he go, yeah. Faithful dependence. What's the mission? Preach the gospel. How? Faithful, dependent. Take nothing. I can plod. I can plod. Now the question now becomes, are you plodding? Are you being faithfully dependent upon what God has called you to do? Or are we become very comfortable being very, very comfortable being very, very comfortable? 
this missionary or mission discourse that Jesus has here of sending his disciples out, yeah, it's going to be now re-hit, re-hit at the last in Matthew chapter 28, where now he tells us, he's telling his disciples here, we're able to gain some principles as to how that's going to happen. But now in Matthew chapter 28, it's going to come around to me and you. And we can learn, hey, what did the disciples learn? Well, they learned take nothing. Go in dependence upon him. Be faithful. I complod. May we all this season be plodders. Be faithful to what God's called us to do. Father, thank you for just who you are. Thank you for the mission that you have entrusted into our care. Thank you for the lessons that we're able to learn from the disciples as we read through this passage of how we are to go. May we be faithfully dependent upon you in everything. We just submit ourselves, our families, our mission into your hands and pray these things in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. See you next week.